Curious Conversations About Sex is brought to you by Curious Creatures, who run a variety of workshops on self-development and sexuality in Australia. My name is Rog. Today, I've hand-selected a bonus episode for you. It's from the podcast, Come As You Are, and it's about your hardware, by which I mean your genitals, your junk, your hoo-ha, your funky fandangle, whatever it is you call it. More specifically, it's about how all of our genitals have got things in common and how we all get formed from the same stock. I love that stuff, how it breaks down a lot of the idea that we're like completely separate and incomparable creatures based on our genitals with no experiences or problems in common. Uh, The episode starts with a listener calling in to ask about their partner's bent dick, but it quickly expands out to include other genital configurations in a nice body positive way. Hey Emily. Hi, Hi there. Emily. My name is Hi Emily. My and I am calling in because I have a question for you. I'm sleeping with a guy right now, and his penis is like really, really, really curved. Like really curved. The idea of talking about genitals for an hour and it really, it really makes me happy. Like I was thinking in the car, like of all the things I want to say about penises. <laughs> I'm Emily Nagoski, and this is the Come As You Are podcast, where I answer questions about sex with science. I'm here with Mo, my producer extraordinaire. So, Emily, we have gotten a lot of questions from the hotline, as you know, and today the question I'm bringing you is about basically penis anatomy. Yay! (laughs) Let's talk about penises. I really did not expect one of our first episodes to be about penises. I know a lot of your audience is cis women, and I really did not expect a huge amount of uh, penis convo from the get-go, but you know what? Here we are. You know, a surprising number of women and femmes have sex with people with penises. I always forget that. I I always forget that a lot of people interact with penises. Um, It's, It's a lot of people. I'm continuing to remind myself that a lot of people have or interact with penises. In fact, most people have or interact with penises. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. And it's not even about gender. Some women have penises. Genitals do not a gender make. Mm-hmm. This is a show where penises are welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Emily, for saying that. Okay, <laughs> um, let's go ahead and get into it. So let me play this week's question for you. Hi, Emily. I have a question for you about the male anatomy, specifically the penis. Um, I'm sleeping with a guy right now, and his penis is, like, really, really, really curved. Like, really curved. And I don't care. I mean, he's... It gets the job done. He's just really embarrassed about it. And, like, yeah, I just want to know... Is that normal? Is there a reason for it? Is it because he's like jerking it too hard to one side or like, I don't know, is it normal? Can I hurt it? Can I break it? Let me know. Thanks. Yes, it is completely normal. It is common. And if there's one thing I want to accomplish with this podcast, it's to make sure you can look at your genitals and any of your partner's genitals and know that they're all normal. They're all normal. They're all beautiful. And I can even explain why, because the science says so. 
I just want to start by thanking this listener for calling in. There is so much to unpack in this call. You know, I'm hearing worry. I'm hearing like cultural myths about masturbation, wanting to reassure your partner, and also just myths about basic anatomy. So let's start with what you just said, that a curved penis is totally normal. Can you say more about that? I did actually look at the research to see if there's like documentation about what proportion of people have a penis that points in one direction or another. That doesn't exist. I'm not actually sure how they do it because how much of a curve counts as a curve because some of the curves are just a little bit and some of them are pretty pronounced. But ultimately, every single penis is different from every single other penis. And there is no normal. They're all normal. The only thing that isn't normal is if your genitals are causing you pain. If you're not in pain, then the answer is yes, normal. And if you're experiencing pain, talk to a medical provider. Fortunately, with a penis, your doctor's likely to take your concerns seriously. <laughs> so dark and so true. Just wanted to drop in to say I'm not sure I agree with that particular comment. If you've ever rocked up to the medical system with a dick in your pants, you know that it's no royal road to being taken seriously. Uh, I think that when we notice that our gender is disadvantaged, it's easy to assume that other genders have got it easier, when sometimes it's just that everyone's getting screwed over. Fortunately, with a penis, your doctor's likely to take your concerns seriously. <laughs> so dark and so true. Can you explain, like, anatomically what causes the curve? It's actually, the curve part itself is really simple. So most of the time when we think about penises, we just think about this one shaft with a sort of cap on the end of it, right? Like a mushroom kind of shape. But did you know the shaft is actually made of three separate chambers all enclosed within the shaft? So there's two corpora cavernosa, the cavernous bodies, and then there's one corpus spongiosum, which is the one that the urethra runs through. So when you imagine a shaft, don't just imagine one solid shaft. Imagine three shafts all wrapped up together. I like to imagine it as like columns. Great. So we have like a burrito made out of these three columns. Right. But it's just a burrito with three hot dogs in it. <laughs> a three hot dog taco. I love that. If one is shorter than the other, it's going to curve toward the short one. And if all three of these chambers of the shaft are the same length, then the penis is straight. You can't see the hand gestures I am making. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're saying that if one of the hot dogs in the whole wrap up in here, the penis, is shorter than the other one, then the curve is going to... Mm -hmm. Bend towards the short... Bend in the direction of the shorter one, mm -hmm. right? Because they all grow together. Right. And the longer ones will continue to grow beyond the point that the shorter one has fully extended already. Whoa. Like, it's this very simple, very slight anatomical difference. It's completely normal. It's just a way people's penises can look. Hmm. Okay. Is it kind of like when you have a lopsided labia, like one of the labia menorah is bigger than the other one? Yeah, which is very often the case. Right, totally. And I should say, if this is not clear already, that I am not a sex educator. <laughs> Emily Nagoski is the professional sex educator. And I am just a lesbian podcast producer. 
So my reactions are very much based on my non-scientific but prolific personal experiences that labia, labias, they're very rarely symmetrical. They are very rarely symmetrical. And labia is the plural. Wait, labia is plural. One of my labia is this size, but my other labium is this other size. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) This is a little grammar lesson you did not get in school. Yeah. And I think culturally, we spend a bunch of time trying to help people with vulvas understand that their anatomy is normal. That's what it's supposed to look like. Like they have hair, they have inner labia, they have outer labia, the size of all those parts can vary. And there's no need to get surgery to correct any of that. If your genitals are not causing you pain, you're you're all set. You're not just all set. You're perfect. And the same thing is true about penises. If one of the chambers of your penile shaft is shorter than the others, it's going to point in a direction. That is not an indication of a problem. You don't need to get surgery to correct it. It's just part of the beautiful variety of human sexual anatomy. I think one of the reasons that we people have so much embarrassment about their shape or their size or their lopsidedness might be that There's no, zero, we've never seen any of that in porn at all. You know, there are times when I feel like I was born at just the right time. Like, I saw a partner's penis in real life before I ever saw a penis in porn. So I didn't have this big whole, like, set of ideas about what penises look like, reinforcing that, that, like, if there's only this one way that penises can look like. And anybody younger than me, I was in high I graduated from high school in 1995. I feel like anybody younger than me was going to have access to porn maybe before they ever saw a partner's penis in real life. I don't even remember which one came first for me. <laughs> I was that young, I guess, or I just, I have no idea which one came first, but probably porn. Yeah. Porn is such bad sex education. Porn is what it is. The metaphor I often use is that learning about sex by watching porn is like learning about driving by watching NASCAR. Those are trained professionals on a closed course with a pit crew. (laughs) That is not a representation of how sex actually works in real life. And most mainstream porn is really limited. Like, there's only one kind of car in NASCAR. Mm -hmm. Like, there's only one right kind of body in porn. Right. They very much value the long, thick, straight penis in porn as if that's the only erotic kind of penis there is. It is not. Right. Exactly. In real life, there's diversity. There's variety. There is messiness. There are curious, surprising, funny, noisy, wet, sticky (laughs) things that happen. And that's fun and good. I love it. Okay. So I have a personal experience with a curved penis, which was that my high school boyfriend, one of my high school boyfriends, it was the first penis I had ever seen. And it was his first time ever, like, you know, showing his penis to anyone besides, I guess, the doctor. And uh, it was extremely curved. Now I know, extremely curved. And he was like, is this normal? And I was like, I don't know, bro. I really don't know. Um, And (laughs) now imagine if your high school sex ed class had shown the three chambers and had explained very simply that if one of the chambers is shorter than the others, then there's going to be a curve and he knows it's normal. That's all it takes. And 
it would have been life-changing for him because he was so ashamed. And he went to the doctor and the doctor basically oh. dismissed his feelings and was like, yeah, it's normal, whatever. And he was like, yeah, but is no one ever going to love me? Am I never going to be able to have good sex? Yeah. Like, am, am I, oh. do I have a defective penis? And he was so mm. upset about it. And I really couldn't comfort him because I didn't know anything about penises. And yeah. I didn't know what to say. Like, it didn't look normal to me, but I didn't know. Like, it didn't look normal compared to what I saw in the medical diagram. Um, yeah. I also have a personal story. In my 20s, many moons ago, I had a partner with quite a curved penis, but I already knew this and I could explain to him oh. why. Oh. And it made so much of a difference in his own relationship with his genitals. Oh my God, that is so great. Holy moly, you're like the better... You're the better version of my story, the adult sex educator version of the nightmare that my poor high school boyfriend went through. Yeah. Ten years passed and I got two degrees mm -hmm. <laughs> worth of education about sexuality. So I knew enough to explain. <laughs> and like it's, it's this small piece of knowledge that can totally change how a person thinks about their own genitals and recognizing not just that they are normal, but why they're normal how the shape of their genitals is just part of the great panoply of variety that is the world of human genitalia. Speaking of the great panoply of human genitalia, that's our cue to take a break. And when we get back, I want you, Emily, to basically give us the updated Anatomy 101 lesson, the one that we never got in high school. And particularly, I want you to talk about the same parts organized differently theory, because it's one of those concepts that when I very first heard it, uh, it was like, holy shit, how did I not know this? But it also felt like I always knew it. I pity the commercial that breaks up a conversation about penal anatomy. <laughs> All right, Emily, so we started this episode by answering an anonymous listener's question about someone they're sleeping with having a curved dick. And you explained the three hot dog taco <laughs> that is the basic anatomy of the penis and that it's super normal for one of those three columns to be shorter than the other two. And then if one is shorter, then the penis curves towards that side, which amazing, obvious, but somehow I never knew that. Now, I put this question early on in the series because basically I am begging you to re-educate us about Anatomy 101. So can you start by explaining the same parts organized differently theory? Yeah. So one of the things that's valuable about understanding where curved penises come from is the idea that, oh, the shaft of the penis is not just one thing, it's these three chambers separately. And all human bodies are made of the same parts, but in some cases those parts are organized in different ways. Like, on the day a person is born, the adults around them look at their body and based on the shape of their genitals, decide it's a boy or it's a girl generally, which is, we can get into the bullshit of that some other episode, I am sure that we will. But that package of stuff that we identify as being 
one thing or the other is actually all the same stuff, just organized in a slightly different way. So the most obvious example for me when a baby is born is the scrotum. So when a human with a scrotum grows into adulthood, they've got this stretchy skin on the outside of their body and hair grows on it, whether they remove it or not, right? And on a person with an it's a girl type of body, when that person gets to adulthood, they've got this external body part of stretchy skin where hair grows on it. One is the scrotum and one is the labia. In fact, in utero, this tissue is called the labioscrotal tissue because it comes from the same basic parts in embryonic and fetal development. In fact, one of my favorite things about scrotums, if you get up close and personal with a scrotum, you look real close and you'll see a seam running down the center of it. It's called the scrotal raphe. And that is where the scrotum knit together. And if things have been a little different with the chromosomes or the hormonal environments in the womb, then uh, that tissue would not have knit together and it would have just become labia. Truly, all the same parts just organized in different ways. I just want to clarify, like, you're saying that the ball sack seam, the seam that runs down the ball sack, yes. is the same parts as the the split of the labia? Yes. But just organized, like, it just was developed differently based on different hormonal inputs? Hormonal. In the uterus. Yep. In, when, it was, when the baby was a fetus. Yeah. Wow. Okay, why? But I'm so mind blown by this, and I cannot believe I was like 25 before I ever knew that this was how it worked, that those two things were the same bits, just organized differently or developed differently. Because we think of them as being so different, but once you understand that it's all the same parts organized in different ways, you can look at any package of genitals and see that it's really just all the same thing. And that, like, the group of genitals we label one way uh -huh. vary so much from each other. And the group of genitals we label a different way vary so much from each other. It is often, when I think about and look at, I have to look at pictures of genitals on a pretty regular basis. It's part of my job. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are times when I feel like there are more differences within the it's a girl batch of genitals than there are between it's a girl and it's a boy type genitals. Like they all vary so much from each other. Each one is unique, like a little snowflake. <laughs> and yet we like cluster them all together like they're all the same. They are not the same, but they are. They're all the same. It's all the same parts organized in different ways. Okay, so are you about to tell me that the clitoris and the penis are the same part organized differently? Yes. <laughs> oh my right. god. Okay. The clitoris does not have the same functions as the penis, except that they're both really good at pleasure. But it's made of the same parts as the penis, which is why it's really important that we know that there's all these internal parts of mm. a penis, right? So there's these three chambers, two corpora cavernosa, the cavernous bodies, mm -hmm. and then there's one corpus spongiosum. The same thing is true about the clitoris. Oh, my God. <laughs> the really big difference, apart from just, like, size of the clitoris, is that the only part of the clitoris that is outside the body is the equivalent of the head of the penis or the glands. So if you imagine, and 
Like, if you, again, if you're up close and personal with an erect penis, you can press down along the sides into the person's body and feel how deeply the shaft goes into the person's body. So if you just imagine that the whole shaft retracts back into that person's body so that only the head is visible, yeah, that's more or less what a clitoris is. The clitoral glands, the external part. Does that make sense? Wow. Yes. Okay. It does make sense, and I did not realize, like, I, I've i heard about the internal clitoris, and it has that sort of wishbone structure. It has those two mm-hmm. uh, roots, almost, that go into the body, wrap around the vagina. Like, I've seen that. The crura, the legs. And the then legs. there's the bulbs of the vestibule, yeah. Yeah, so I've seen that image before, and I think there was a movement a few years mm-hmm. ago, you know, to really educate people that, hey, the, the clitoris is an entire internal structure, that is much bigger yeah. than just the thing we see outside. Yeah. Imagine, like, the change that happens between a non-erect penis and an erect penis, how much change happens in uh-huh. sort of the shape and size and presence of a penis. All that same change is happening inside a vulva. So when you look at that wishbone shape, the two bulbs of the vestibule that make the sort of wishbone shape, those are the corpora cavernosa those uh, cavernous bodies that are the same parts as in the shaft of the penis. A.K.A. the hot dogs. They're just internal. In the, the, hot, the hot dogs, make the, the yes, little columns making the up the dogs. inside of the penis. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm literally functioning on like a fifth grade level on the understanding of this. I thought it was one, you know, big... Uh, the one flesh, big hunk of meat. One big flesh knob, yeah, basically. I didn't realize that there were multiple... Yeah columns and that those translated directly mm-hmm. to the the legs of the internal clitoris. So I want to talk to you about something the technical term is anatomical homologs. Okay. So we know what anatomy is, right? Homolog means having the same origin. Mm-hmm. The origin of the human body is the development in the uterus. Sperm meets egg. We know that that happens. Sure. And then development begins. Mm-hmm. A blastocyst, an embryo. Yeah. Eventually a fetus. Right. And there is this really complex cascade of hormonal and developmental events. But in that embryonic blastocyst early fetal development stage, bodies look exactly alike. It isn't until six and a half weeks into gestation, when there is a wave of hormones, Mm. that anything is different. All the prefab hardware of what a human body is made of is there, regardless of the chromosomes. We know that, like, traditionally we call XX is an it's a girl type person and XY is an it's a boy type person, right? But up until six and a half weeks, it's identical, It's all the same parts. It's only after that wash of hormones that anything begins to change. So all that same prefabricated hardware begins to organize itself into slightly different shapes. Mm. But then, Uh the clitoris and the penis. Did you know the external part of the clitoris, the part that is visible that you can touch with your hand, Mm -hmm. is the homologue of the head of the penis. So imagine that a penis gets sort of retracted into a person's body and all that's visible is the head, right? You can imagine that. It's a little Uh silly, 
But all that internal structure, all three of those chambers uh-huh. are still there. They're just deep inside the body. Oh, my God. I wish you could see my face right now. My hands are over my mouth, like, as if someone just exploded the world for me. Like, basically, (laughs) ah, the penis is a very large clitoris or or vice versa, and it's outside the body, but in a different world with different, you know, hormonal inputs. They are the same materials, is what you're saying. Yeah. I want you to imagine all the changes that happen to a penis when it gets erect. Like, here's this thing outside of a person's body. It starts out sort of squishy. You can squeeze it really hard. You can stretch it and pull it. As it fills with blood, it gets firmer and it extends and swells. Now imagine if that shaft is all retracted deep into the body, all that same swelling and firming up, all of that is happening inside of a vulva. In the internal clitoris. Yes. Wait, so if you're listening um, and you're confused, I would recommend, like, just typing into Google the words clitoris and penis, same. Clitoris and penis, same. Press enter on on, uh, those four words and take a gander at the Google image results you get. Image results. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the dinosaur images. I love these. I love these, too. Why do you call it the dinosaur images? Oh, because it looks, it's like how a Muppet would be a dinosaur. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad you like these diagrams. I mean, I think this is a really helpful image. Yeah, it helps people to understand both that there's way more to the clitoris, but also there is way more to the penis. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And this science is used to help people who transition, who either have hormonal or surgical interventions to change the shape of their genitals to be more concordant with their identity. Mm-hmm. It's so helpful that we know this, that we have this science, because the science means that we have readier access to tools to have gender-affirming medical interventions. Mm-hmm. So the people's genitals can align with their identity. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just absolutely gobsmacked by this information. Like, on one hand, I it's weirdly empowering to me. But I'm also angry that so many of us were taught the biological differences, you know, diagrams of genitals, and we were not taught, hey, (laughs) this is the same structure, just organized differently. Yeah, people get really attached to the idea that there are two, Mm -hmm. and they're not the same. Yeah, some people are bizarrely emotionally and politically invested, literally invested in this idea of biological difference. So just going to leave our listeners to ruminate on that. And let's take a break. When we get back, I think we should talk about like stigma and myths about genital shape and size and symmetry, all that kind of stuff. And we're also going to talk about that one myth that the caller brought up about jerking it too hard. (laughs) Hey there, listener. I'd like to make you a little proposal. I love making this podcast for free because it helps me spread the word about sex positivity. But I could use your help in spreading the word just by sharing this episode if that's not too absurd. For every 10 stories that you listen to, 
please recommend it to someone that might like it too. <laughs> this is not a real contract, for you got no say. I would if I could frame it some other way. And if sharing's not for you, that's fine. There's nothing to do. Please listen without guilt to this podcast I built. Emily, I have been waiting all episode to say this, so I'm just going to say it now. And you might not know about this because you don't consume a lot of pop culture, but there is an entire song by Megan Thee Stallion about curved dicks being hot. It's called Captain Hook. Ah, this is amazing! <laughs> Wait, have you heard it? I've never heard of it. Okay, Megan is an absolute icon right now. And in this song, Captain Hook, she has a line where she literally says, I like a dick with a little bit of curve. Considering that you have never heard this, I need to mm-hmm. play a clip for you. This is amazing. Yes, it is. It, a watershed moment for curved penis visibility. Couldn't let this episode happen without mentioning. No, that is an extremely important addition. I didn't mm. realize that curved penises had made it to the mainstream in so big a way. Mm-hmm. Curved penis adoration, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so one of the things this caller, and they didn't give their name, but one of the things they brought up was what could have caused this curve. And actually, I'm just going to play the clip because it's gold. Is there a reason for it? Is it because he's like jerking it too hard to one side or like? So could a curve in a penis be caused by someone jerking it? too hard (laughs) or jerking it too hard to one side quote unquote yeah definitely not (laughs) (laughs) i want (laughs) to but that's it's it's a thing i run into like i've been asked that before that is the thing people are worried about when their penises vary from their expectations of what a penis is supposed to be they worry that they made it happen by masturbating and that's often because they started masturbating and really paying close attention to their penis at about the same time that their penis hits puberty and starts to look the way it's going to look. Uh, and so they think that, it, look, correlation is not causation. Just because two things happen at the same time doesn't mean that one caused the other. You're masturbating in the same direction as your penis because that's how it's comfortable and pleasurable to masturbate. But the curve was there before you ever started masturbating. Mm. But the myth of... The idea that you can masturbate too hard or too much and it can permanently damage the hardware is like a a pretty pervasive myth. Like, you know, I'm a cis woman. I have a clitoris. I had the cultural imagery that like I could damage it forever. I could burn it off. I was probably 14 or 15 and I saw an episode of Sex in the City where Samantha is shopping for a vibrator. And another woman who's shopping next to her points at one of them and says, oh, don't buy that one because it'll burn your clitoris off. (laughs) And I, after I saw that episode, I probably spent four years having a fear that I could burn my clitoris off. Like literally cauterize your clitoris. Yes, exactly. I know. And now I know better, but, like... And probably all they meant is that it overheats. Yeah, or that it gets, like, really intense. 
But I do think there's like a lot of cultural messaging that masturbation is bad. And if you do it too much or too hard, you're going to damage your business forever. And that's going to be it. Yeah. And the only thing that's true is like, again, if you experience pain, that might be a sign that something has gone sideways. And I don't mean that in the penis pointing direction. I mean (laughs) that like you may have injured yourself if something hurts. But otherwise, if it doesn't hurt... You are fine. If you experience numbness, that's temporary. In the same way that, like, if you fall asleep on your foot and it gets numb and tingly, like, does your foot stay that way forever? No. If your foot stayed that way forever, you would tell me, right? (laughs) Because that's not the way it works. (laughs) There'd be something wrong if it stayed that way forever. But it doesn't. It's just very temporary. I think the worst thing masturbating can do is teach you to get to orgasm so efficiently that when you are having any sort of sexual connection with another person, your body only knows how to get to orgasm really efficiently as opposed to, like, taking your time and engaging with your partner. So really what I recommend is masturbating in a greater variety of ways and really taking your time and enjoying it. Mm, that is that is really, really good advice. I want to bring up one more thing from the listener's call. They said that their partner's penis, quote, gets the job done. Like, no judgment on the person who's using this language. This is the language we are taught as a culture to use Mm -hmm. about penises, Mm -hmm. um, to see them as strong and hard and, (laughs) like, they can last forever and they're never weak. Mm. It's absolutely a metaphor for masculinity itself, this trap of masculinity. I am just realizing right now that we, like, culturally apply the words handjob and blowjob pretty much exclusively to penises. Like, we never talk about clitoral stimulation as a handjob or cunnilingus as a blowjob. That's true. Listeners should let us know if that's not true in their experience. I had this revelation when I was actually looking at a Instagram post and somebody used the phrase thigh job, like in the queer context of like when you're pressing your thigh against someone's vulva, basically. Yeah. And when I when I heard the word thigh job, I was like, I love that phrase, number one. And two, I have never heard job, blank job, be applied to anything related to the clitoris or the vulva. Yeah. So, but when the caller says it gets the job done, I assume they mean... It's pleasurable to them in penetrative sex, and it doesn't hurt. Um, But that's really what I want to know as well. Like, this caller's calling in from their perspective, having sex with this person with this curved penis. Like, is it pleasurable? That's so interesting because what I assumed, and, like, our assumptions are Mm -hmm. always just our assumptions, but my assumption was uh, I have orgasms from penetration. Mm. My assumption was it gets hard and we're able to have penetrative sex. Mm, that is a much more pessimistic <laughs> interpretation, but I think you could be right. Yeah. I hope listeners will comment with their opinions of what counts as, like, it gets the job done. Is it just penetration pain-free, mm-hmm. or is it orgasm from vaginal stimulation? Okay, so Emily, I feel like we have covered a lot of ground in this episode. Um, we started mm-hmm. out talking about a crooked penis, 
But we have also now covered the internal genital structures and Mm -hmm. how all genitals are the same parts, just organized differently. Mm -hmm. Also, I learned the word homologs. Um, (laughs) So can you just recap it all for me, please? I would love to. That's a great idea. So we'll start with the answer to the actual question, which is, yes, bendy or curvy penises, 100% normal. And the reason they're normal is that a penis is made of these three chambers or, like, columns. And it's very common for one of those columns to be slightly shorter than the other two. And if that happens, then the penis will bend to one side. But again, it is not a sign that you've done anything wrong. It is not anything you caused or anything you could cause. It's just the way some penises are built. And as long as it's not causing you any pain, it's perfect. So that's first. Mm-hmm. Second, onto those genital structures. For simplicity, right now I'm going to focus on the clitoris and the penis. In the first few weeks of embryonic development, all of us have the same basic hardware. It's around week six that the embryo receives a hormonal signal, and that hardware begins to take a certain shape that when that person is born, we would label that shape it's a girl or it's a boy. We all start out with the same parts. They just get organized differently. So the penis and the clitoris are homologs. Mm -hmm. They have the same origin. They're made of the same material. Third, to get a little more specific, the legs and the bulbs of the internal clitoris are the same as the parts of those three chambers in the penis. The head of the clitoris is the same as the head of the penis. It just developed a little differently, responding to the hormones based on this body's chromosomes and other aspects of their environment in utero. And just like the penis, the clitoris, including all of its internal parts, gets erect and swells when you're aroused, which I just love. (laughs) Me too. Hooray for clitoral arousal. Mm. So basically, the way many of us are taught about genitals and sex ed is this tiny fragment of the full picture. And the reality is so much less binary than what we're taught. Every set of genitals is unique, just like every person's sexual orientation and gender identity and desires are all unique. People vary and they change. And all of that is normal. Which leads us to fourth and most important. The reality of our genitals is not what we were shown either in our textbooks or in porn. It is much more asymmetrical and beautiful and curvy and delightful and enticing and all the way down the alphabet. I don't have to know what your genitals look like to know that they are already perfect, just as they are. This is the difference between ladies sitting around at brunch talking about their experiences Mm -hmm. and having a professional sex educator. Yes, exactly! (laughs) It's the difference between your experience in high school with a boy with a crooked penis and my experience in grad school with a boy with a crooked penis. Where I can be like, here's exactly why this is normal and can actually be an asset. Yes. Night and day, (laughs) turns out. Information can make all the difference. Yep. Confidence comes from knowing what is true. 
I mean, this is what I always say. My job is to teach people to live with confidence and joy in their bodies. And confidence is knowing what is true. And joy is loving what is true. And joy is the hard part. Mm. Do you have advice for the caller or the caller's partner? I mean, advice for doing that very hard part, like finding joy in your body as it exists right now. We've all been trained from really early on to have an idea about what is right and what is wrong about sexuality, including the shape and size of our body parts. All of our body parts. Just because it's normal doesn't mean it's acceptable, Mm. really. We have to change our opinion. And that means going against every message we have received from really early on in our lives, reinforced through our formal education, our moral education, our interactions with medical practitioners. It has been reinforced that there is a right body and a wrong body. And it takes a leap to decide that your body, whatever it is, is already perfect and beautiful and fully lovable and deserving of pleasure. That's a choice that people need to make. And yeah, there's a cost that comes with that kind of choice because other people will judge you for being willing to accept and welcome your body precisely as it is. But it's a daily practice of taking a tonic to strengthen your immunity against those poisonous messages. Like, what's? do you have a tonic that you take? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. So the literal tonic here is, suppose a person with a, a curved penis who has had complicated feelings about their curved penis, every day, just for three minutes, you think about... You visualize or you look at your penis and you send your penis loving, supportive messages about like, you are perfect exactly the way you are. You are a normal variation on the way human beings' bodies look. And you can be an asset and a gift. You're capable of experiencing enormous pleasure. You're capable of providing pleasure to your partners. You are a gorgeous, beautiful toy in the play that is erotic connection. When I hear you talking about it, like I feel it radiating from you in a way that, I know this sounds really woo-woo, but like it feels like once someone has made that shift where they're unconditionally loving their body as it is right now, like everyone who they interact with, everyone can feel that shift. Like everyone knows that there's someone who loves their body instead of someone who is hiding or hating their body. Yeah. That confidence and that acceptance, your partner can feel that, and it helps them to experience your body with your confidence and your acceptance. Like, nope, this is just normal. Any feelings you have about the fact that this might not be normal, that's you. And, like, here is this body right in front of you, ready to be sexy with you. And you can either judge it or you can be sexy with this body. What do you think? It, it, it works. Knowledge and self-love totally improve your sex life. And it helps other people improve their sex lives. Because if they can 
see you loving your body exactly as it is, it opens the question of like, but could I love my body exactly as it is? If there's someone who has moved through this process, who has genitals that don't conform to, like, the porn ideal, and you've made your way to a place of really loving the shape of your genitals, let us know how you did that. Not every call has to be a question. I would love to hear the process that people have been through in order to get there, because every story like that is going to help other people who are at the beginning of that journey. Call and tell us about it. The phone number is 646-397-8557, or you can send a voice memo on email to emily at pushkin.fm. Next week, we have a question from a listener about desire. And if you're feeling like, I want to want my partner, or I want to want sex, but I'm just, I don't know, I'm not really in the mood. This responsive desire episode has been made specifically for you. Come As You Are is a production of Pushkin Industries and Madison Wells. It's hosted by Emily Nagoski. You can find Emily on Instagram at enagoski and on Twitter at Emily Nagoski. You can also sign up for her newsletter at emilynagoski.com, where she writes about everything from the clitoris in your mind to orgasm after having a hysterectomy. It's an incredible newsletter. Highly recommend it. This show is co-hosted and lead produced by me, Mo Laborde. You can find me online at Mo Laborde and on TikTok at podcast.slut. Sorry, Mom. My co-producer on this show is the fabulous Brittany Brown. Our editor is Kate Parkinson Morgan. Sound design and mix by Ann Pope. Executive producers are Mia LaBelle and Letal Malad. At Pushkin, thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Sophie Crane, Courtney Guarino, Jason Gambrell, Julia Barton, John Schnars, and Jacob Weisberg. At Madison Wells, thanks to Kylie Williams, Elizabeth Goodstein, and Gigi Pritzker. Additional thanks to Rich Stevens, Lindsay Edgecombe, Frolic Media, and Peter Acker at Armadillo Audio Group. Original music for this series was composed by Amelia Nagoski and arranged and recorded by Alexandra Kalinowski. Additional music from Epidemic Sound. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. If you love this show and others from Pushkin Industries, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for only $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions or at pushkin.fm. If you subscribe to Pushkin Plus, you can hear Come As You Are and other Pushkin shows ad-free, very nice, and you'll get episodes a week early. Sign up on the Come As You Are show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. I'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. I've created a forum so you can tell me and also chat with other listeners about it. It's at forum.curiouscreatures.biz. And there's a link for that in the show notes. 
Once you've signed up to the forum, which is free and takes less than a minute, navigate to groups and then join the group for curious conversations about sex. And if you liked today's episode, please share it with someone else that might be interested. There's probably a share button right there in your podcast player. Curious Creatures run a variety of workshops, mostly in Melbourne, Australia. We've also got some pre-recorded workshops that you can watch anytime, anywhere. Our workshops are on sexuality, self-development and relationships. You might also want to check out our consent cards. They're a small plastic card with all of the questions you need to ask to give yourself the best chance of getting exactly what you want to the level you want it. There's a version specifically for kink activities and a more general version for everything else. Links to our consent cards are in the show notes. See you soon, friends.